You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you have your Bibles or your apps or your new version app, go with me, if you will, John chapter 1. Or John chapter 2, I'm sorry. John chapter 2. For those who are streaming with us live, who would normally be here but have a kiddo with a cold or just feel a cold coming on. I've gotten some messages that some people are just feeling things and allergies and that sort of things. But living in this moment where it's COVID, not knowing what it is, you know, just want to remind us to, to be wise. And if you are feeling away, then feel free to tap into the live stream. Uh, if that's what is most appropriate for you. But we miss you, those who are with us, and we will miss anyone who isn't with us on any given Sunday as we still navigate the strange season. So, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told Jesus, they don't have any wine. Jesus replied, what is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? My, hours, my hour has not yet come. And his mother told the servants, do whatever you tell you. <laughs> now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them with the, to the brim. And then he said to the servants, Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Mark this. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after the people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed. Word of the Lord. You can almost see a headline. See, we're in this series right now called Headline Living, the Gospel in Context. And the purpose of this series is to provoke all of us to think a little bit. We oftentimes buy into this thing of clickbait. We all know what clickbait is, Right? It's when a headline comes off on the internet or on wherever you're at or like a Twitter, wherever you are, and the headline is this provocative statement that when you, if you open it up, has nothing to do with the actual context of the article, right? Sometimes it's obvious, like, you won't believe what happened next, you know, and then sometimes it's going to be as not so obvious as Jesus promotes drinking and disregards the sacred. Because that could be the headline here. We know that Jesus got in trouble many times for the company Jesus would keep and the things that he would do. And in a Galilean world, everywhere Jesus travels in Galilee, according to John, miracles happen. And these miracles always have a context. They always have a story within the story that you read. And the church, I need you to stay living because this is important. John doesn't call these miracles miracles. He calls them what? Signs. Everybody say signs. signs. John calls them signs. He doesn't say miraculous works. He doesn't say wonders. He says signs. 
Jesus did this first sign. When John uses the language of sign rather than work or miracle, John is inviting the reader to a deeper context. John is essentially saying, don't get sucked into the clickbait. I need you to look deeply within the story and see because the signs, signs that God commits, signs that Jesus performs are meant to point us to something deeper. So in the story, there's layers of meaning. And that becomes the context. It's why John said, these are signs. And so if we're going to understand the signs, then we have to know a little bit more about our own story. We have to know a little bit about the Hebrew Scriptures, about what God is up to in the world, and what it means for Jesus to get in on it and to do what Jesus is doing. And so, Jesus arrives at a wedding with some of his new disciples. And every time Jesus is in Galilee, like we said, at least in John's Gospel, a miracle follows. John calls them signs. These signs are to provoke our thought. And so in a traditional northern Israelite wedding feast, which lasted seven days, it's a party. And by the time Jesus and his crew arrive, whatever time that is, the party has run out of its reserves for one. So Jesus transforms water into wine. Now I want to be clear, this is a grape juice. So if you were taught somehow, some way, about fermentation and this, that, and the other, that's not what's going on in the text. It's not what's going on in the story. I know it makes us feel better about the story for some of us. But that's not what's happening in the story. This is the good stuff. And so Jesus transforms the water into wine, and he uses six stone jars set aside for a sacred Judean ritual. These jars are for sacred, religious, holy purposes of purification. And so Jesus, turning water into wine using six stone jars set aside for a sacred Judean ritual, saves the wedding party from a social disaster of shame. This scandalous and seemingly irreligious miracle that turns sacred ritual stone jars into an open bar. And this particular sign marks the beginning of several miraculous signs that does at times show Jesus' willful disregard for Judean rituals steeped in traditions that marginalize other people. So now, there are many ways to read this miracle, this sign. So I'm going to give you some reasons. If you have your YouVersion app, this would be a good time to get in there. All the notes are in the YouVersion app if you want to grab it. Otherwise, I'm going to give you some straight points here. So there are many different ways, because this is a sign. So there's a deeper context. There's a lot of layers to pull back. So at least one of the things that this particular sign reminds us of, especially if we know the Hebrew Scriptures, is that a sudden abundant supply of wine... In this moment, if it aligns with classic Israelite prophecy, is a symbol of God's abundant restoration and liberation of Israel. See, wine in the Hebrew Scriptures is often a sign of God's liberation and provisional presence. It's a sign of God's presence of abundance. It's newness. It's life. It's fullness. That's the symbol of wine in the Hebrew Scriptures. That wine becomes the symbol that reminds us that when the Messiah is present, 
joy will follow and liberation happens. So at least, at least one thing the story invites us to see is where Jesus is present, God's provision will always come. Where Jesus is present, God's provision will always come. It may not come on our time, but it will always come. All right, there may be something else to see now in the story. So like, read the story, look at the story. See, Mary, Jesus' mama, she sees a problem and she knows how to solve it. Does that line come into y'all's head once I say that? Check out the soap by the DJ. Is that... Is that just me? Like, I did this first gathering, and that completely spun out. So you're very welcome for that completely meaningless connection. So, so Mary sees a problem, and she knows how to solve it. And so she goes to Jesus. That's what Mary does. Mary doesn't start looking around for other options. She goes to Jesus. And when she goes to Jesus, what does Jesus do? He provides more wine than needed. And what ends up happening? Great rejoicing follows. So another thing this story invites us into is to see that when Jesus gets involved in solving problems, an abundance of provision is sure to come. And sometimes Jesus gets involved in solving our problems through his own people. Does that make sense? I know we don't like people getting involved in our business. But sometimes the way Jesus comes into our lives to solve our problem are to the people, through the people that God puts in our lives to help us solve the problem. Sometimes we are the answer to somebody's prayer. Sometimes we're the answer to our own prayers. Because in Jesus, we take our problem to Jesus. And y'all, like, I really know it's cliche to be like, give it to Jesus. Like, I know that that is a cliche thing to do. But when we turn to Jesus with our problems, when we open up Scripture, and we visit the life and the teachings and the person of Jesus in the Gospels, when we sit before the Scriptures in prayer, when we turn our attention to God who is present with us, remember, where God is present, provision will follow. When we turn our attention to the presence of God, then we have turned our attention to the solution and the provision. But when we don't turn our attention to the presence of God, we are turning our attention to try to find some other solution based upon our own strength for provision. Are you with me? But when we turn our attention to the presence of God, and then we turn our attention to the presence of God in God's people, God lives in Natalie. God lives in Jason. God lives in Glenn. God lives in Casey. And so I take my problems to a brother or sister that I do life with. Someone that I believe is spiritually mature. Not some spiritually immature person. Not some person who's just in my affinity group. But someone, maybe even someone that I wouldn't normally agree with. Maybe even someone that I wouldn't normally go to. When I turn my attention to the Spirit of God in them and go to them for counsel, maybe then I get God's attention and then, or maybe then God gets my attention and then my problem begins to unwind. Many of the times, we try to solve it in our own strength. See, the question for us in light of the story so far is will we go to Jesus and look to Him to solve our problems? Or will we lean into our own ingenuity, our own strength, our, our own solutions? Because the problem of the divine economy of God is what we often start in the flesh. Sometimes we have to finish in the flesh. But what we start in the spirit, we finish 
in the Spirit. What you sow in the Spirit, you reap in the Spirit. What you sow in the flesh, you reap in the flesh. That's Galatians. That's a principle that we need to wrestle with. Jesus is in the business of turning the water into wine. So whatever ordinary water you're carrying around, whatever, whatever problem you have, whatever thing you think you have that seems just too ordinary, or stale, or just old, or just worn out, or maybe you've just finally run out of resources, take your empty jars. Take your empty hands. Jesus, for real. But if we have our hands tightly gripped on something, we cannot open our hands. So if our hands are tightly gripped on our own hopes and our own dreams and our own expectations and our own goals, on what other people say we are, who we are, or on our own past, then it's going to be hard to let go and open our hands to the goodness of God who provides. And what I love about God is sometimes God sends people into our lives to help pry our hands loose. Sometimes God will bring someone into our life who will help us one finger at a time let we have to let those people in. Sometimes that's the answer to our prayer. And that's hard. But where Jesus is present, an abundance of provision is sure to fall. At least another thing that this particular story unveils, and don't miss this, this is probably my favorite part of the story. Notice who Jesus invites to participate in the miracle. Does he invite his disciples? No. He invites the servants. Jesus invites the lowliest of the low at the party. Jesus invites the unexpected ones, the ones who are the bench players, the role players, not the starting five. He does not involve nor invite the leaders of the party to be a part of this miracle. Jesus invites the least that is present. And invites them into participation of the miracle. I mean, when the servants take these empty jars and they fill them with water. They know it's water, right? Matter of fact, and they know that they're also betraying a sacred ritual. They're taking these sacred ritual items and they're filling them with water. And they have no idea what's going to go on. And Jesus does whatever Jesus does. And then they begin, all of a sudden, it's wine. And if you look at verse 9, if you look at verse 9, John wants us to know that they knew that. And I think that's important, y'all. John wants us to know that they knew what was up. When the head waiter tested the water after it had become the wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. You think their lives were changed? You think they had to rethink life in that moment as they understood it? Jesus invites any of us, all of us, into God's purposes. The worthy and the unworthy. Now, at the risk of sounding like a cheesy bumper sticker that you can buy from a Christian bookstore. And I've resisted to say this as much as I could, but it actually makes sense. Y'all ready? God doesn't call to qualify. Finish it up. God qualifies the call. I didn't make that up. Some bumper sticker, somebody bumper. But it's true. It's true. These table 
servants are the ones with the first eyewitness of this miracle. Beloved, no matter where you've been or what you've done, God isn't through with you no matter. No matter how unqualified you feel or how untalented you feel, no matter how unskilled you may be, no matter what your socioeconomic status may be, no matter what your age may be, God will invite you to participate in his work of transformation. And here's the thing, when you put it all together, y'all, when we turn our attention to Jesus to solve our problems, and then we go to the people of God to see those problems get solved, do not be surprised when the person that God brings into your life to help you unwind your problem is the person you would least expect or even least desire. Are you with me? Don't be surprised if it's an enemy. Don't be surprised if it's an unqualified person. Let the Spirit do work. Jesus turned water to wine. Beloved, no one. Everybody say no one. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And no one is unqualified to share his mission. Now, there will be maybe, maybe another thing for us to see. See, these servants were invited to take part in this sign that Jesus performed. In their participation, their active participation in God's purposes was their transformation. Here's what I'm trying to say. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to have a deeper faith, a deeper understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus, if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit manifest itself in our life, if we want to get after the goodness of God in this world, it's not going to come through just prayer and Bible study alone. It's not going to come through just liturgy alone. We're going to have to get active. We're going to have to actively participate in the purposes of God, which may mean something has to go. It may mean something has to be set aside. It may mean I may have to loosen my grips on something. It may mean that I have to go to that person that I would least want to go to. It may mean I have to welcome that person that I would least want to welcome. These servants, these People, their transformation came through active participation in God's mission. That's what changed their life. And if we just do what Jesus tells us and choose to trust him, especially when it comes to serving someone else, we can and will be changed. Are you with me? So, in summary, I never do that. I just want to be in summary. Where Jesus is present, God's provision will always come and joys to follow. Two, when Jesus gets involved in solving problems, an abundance of provision is sure to come. Three, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is unqualified to share in his mission. And four, transformation comes from active participation in God's mission. But then there's one more thing I want us to see that may be big enough to help us see all the others. Alright, so here's the thing. John is the only gospel writer who uses such symbolic and layered language. Like he chooses signs instead of miracles. Are you with me? But John also chooses, he's the one who also gives the I am statements. Remember that? Those are the other weird sort of things that Jesus says about Jesus' self. 
Remember, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. And then Jesus, who says, I am the bread of life, challenges his followers to eat his body and drink his blood. That's just, what does that even mean, Jesus? John's the one who tells the story. No other gospel writer talks about Jesus with more symbolism or language than John. John is up to something, and this first sign is the beginning. And I believe John has, among many things, one big proposal to all of us in this story and in all the signs he offers, and here's what I think it is. In the crisis of a world that is held captive of violence and power and all sorts of human brokenness, every person must choose. Are we with Jesus or are we against Jesus? Because for John, there's no middle ground. There's no middle. There's no neutrality. There's no center. We live in a society that is desperate for a center. Because we're so tired of these binaries, of this right-left, these, these, these edges of extremes. And so we're looking for a center. But in the gospel of the kingdom of God, there is no center. There's just Jesus. And Jesus will walk on the right or the left or in the middle or over or above and below. It doesn't. Jesus will go where Jesus will go because Jesus will not be domesticated. Jesus will not become some manageable Messiah. He will use the sacred if it means blessing the people. He will not allow religion to get in the way of relationship. Jesus will do what Jesus will do because Jesus will be who Jesus will be. And Jesus will invite into Jesus' life whoever he wants to do the big, beautiful purposes of God. He will not be managed. He will not be limited on a, put to some leash who can only walk in the center or on the right or on the left. Jesus will be the Lord. He will be king, not a concierge. This is the truth of Jesus. Jesus will also do what his mama tells him to do. We learned that too. Right? Like, like, no, that Jesus will do that. Jesus will do whatever it takes, beloved, to bring liberation and joy to all who welcome him into their presence. Jesus wants you loved more than you want to be loved, and he wants whoever you love to be loved more than you want to be loved. Jesus wants you liberated more than you even want to be liberated. And Jesus wants whoever you love who needs to be liberated to be liberated more than you want to be liberated. That is the mystery of the gospel. And it's tangible. It's tangible. It's tangible in this story. There's a reason I believe John told us a story about Jesus turning water into wine. It's tangible substance. Plain and ordinary life-giving substance that just kind of sustains life. Everybody say sustained life. Into wine, which makes life a party. Into something that is tasty. I'm not making a pitch. But something that is beautiful and good and that symbolizes abundance. That symbolizes joy. It's in the story. It's the context of the story. Jesus isn't willing to settle. He's not willing to just let you play it safe. He wants us to bring whatever empty jars we have. Fill them up with whatever it is we've got. 
trusting to turn something into wine. And I don't know what all that means exactly. Other than the fact that it's going to start by turning my attention to Jesus. So, I've got two practical things that I'm going to offer. If you've been a part of this church for any period of time, we call these the one ear out, one ear out questions. If you've been a part of this community, we've been doing this for now eight years. But I want to give it all of us. All right, so y'all ready? I'm going to give you two questions I want to encourage you to ask. If we want to turn water, if we want to see Jesus turn water and wine, there are at least two things I think we can do. And y'all need to take this down because I don't normally give like, here are two things you can do. Because I don't even know. Like, these are just two things. This is like the only two things because I'm not that smart. I don't know. I'm sure there's a book out there for that that says 10 things that you can do for God to turn water and wine. But here's two things I'm trying to get you to ask. One, question number one. Who might God be calling to love me in tangible ways? That's the question I want to encourage you to ask this week. So say it with me. Who might God be calling to love me in tangible ways? So like, who's married? Who are the servants? Who are the people in my life? Who are the people that when they see me, they wave, and I just wave and walk off? Who are the people that text me and check in on me? Who are the people that send me a message and say they are thinking of me today? Who are those people? Who are the people that come into my mind when I ask Jesus that question? So what I'm asking you to do is ask God the question, God, who might you be calling to love me in tangible ways right now? And then, beloved, what I'm asking you to do is pay attention. If somebody waves at you, go to them. Resist the inner introvert. God may be answering a prayer you've been praying. Now watch, nobody's going to wave at anybody. No, everybody's like, I ain't waving. I don't want to Like, we can do the peaky wave. Like, that, right? like, you know, like a head nod. Like, if somebody said, that's the question. Who comes to your mind? Who texts and checks up on you? And here's my point, beloved. When someone comes to you and says how you're doing, tell them. Are you with me? Tell them. Because they may be the person God may be calling you to love in that moment. If somebody calls you and says, let's get together, then get together with them. That's taking your well. Like, I'm giving you the practical. That's taking your jar and going wherever they're going and say, let's sit down. So here's the first question. Repeat after me. Who am I God? Be calling to love me. In tangible ways. Because God is a God of tangible things. God is a God of substance. He's God of water and wine. And then surrender. All right, question number two. Ready? Who might God be calling me to love in tangible ways? Say it with me. Who might God be calling me to love in tangible ways? And then sit still. God, who might you be calling me to love in tangible ways? Sit still. And whoever comes to your mind, act. Like, do. And what I'm saying, what I'm not saying is like, Hey, y'all, I was praying, asking God who might be called to love. And you came to mind, so I'm, I think I'm called to love you. Like that, that, that's not what I'm saying, dude. Especially for some of us. What I am saying is whoever comes to your mind, send them a message and say, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? How are you doing? Just respond. If an image comes to your head, Respond. If a person, a name comes to your mind, respond. Because you may be the answer to their prayers too. Now here's what I'm trying to say. So here's what I'm saying. I'm not preaching to all of your Christian friends who are not here today. I'm talking to those who gather with and as Williamsburg Christian Church. And here's why that statement matters. 
If every one of us in this moment decided that we're going to spend the next week, two weeks, ten months, rest of our lives, but if we're going to spend the next few weeks of our lives, if we all right here decided that we're going to ask ourselves these two questions, God, who might you be calling to love me in tangible ways? And God, who might you be calling me to love in tangible ways? So let's say Bob says, God, who might you be calling to love me in tangible ways? And Jason comes to Bob's mind. Or Jason sends Bob a random text. And then Jason's praying, God, who might you be calling me to love? And it happens to be Bob. Guess what happens? Transformation. You with me? But it only happens, beloved, if we ask those two questions and then act from those questions. To just simply be present. To just show up to the party. Because really that's all Jesus was trying to do. Are you with me? Beloved, submit your life to that moment. Embrace these questions. And in time, in time, God can turn water into wine. But beloved, don't rush it. Don't rush. Don't be impatient. Don't assume that you, feeling a conviction and hammering at somebody is the answer. For those of you who may feel God is asking you to love somebody, your response is just to let them know you're thinking about them and praying about them, not texting them every day, three times a day. But that's being impatient. Let Jesus do the miracle. Let Jesus do the work but show up to the party. Y'all with me on that? Yeah. See, the question is, do we believe all of this to be true? And are we willing to wait for Jesus to turn the water into wine? Or will we impatiently try to make something happen on our own? Because when we try to make something happen in our own world, it doesn't always end well. And even if it does end well, it may not have been the wonderfully sweet-tasting wine that Jesus had for us. Does that make sense? Yeah. By the way, I said this in first service, it bears repeating in second. In the Greek language, when you read this text, the Greek word for wine is literally should be translated dark roast coffee. Some of y'all are like, oh, man. Okay. And just in case anybody's wondering, that's actually not true. For those who don't know me that well yet, I'm totally clear. I'm just kidding. Our God is a God of tangible substance, y'all. Our God is a God who is concrete in particular. Our God is a God who works with real tangible things. Our God is so concrete in particular that he decided to put on brown skin as a Jewish Palestinian savior named Jesus born to a woman named Mary in a town called Bethlehem and had that same brown skin body put on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised from the dead, and ascended to the reign of God the Father. That's how particular and concrete God is. So I need you to know this is an abstraction. Not if you read this through the lens of the Christian story. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.